PowerPoint up. Ooh, special speaker. That's exciting. <laughs> nope, that's. I could do Pete's sermon. Probably wouldn't want to hear it from me because that's where he was going. Great. So I thought I'd introduce myself just a little bit. Who am I? It's nice to know who's up here speaking to you at some point in time. Well, I'm Richard Hayes. I'm a child of the King like all of you. So we're here as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. My wife Judy's here with me. We've been married for 48 years. That's amazing. I have three daughters, uh, six grandchildren. I'm a retired pastor. I've been in ministry for 39 years, uh, and I'm a servant of God, and I, I, I deeply appreciate all of that. But this is my family. That's them. Pretty scary. I got a close-up of all the little family groups, but um, anyways, that's been a, been a joy for our lives. And one of the reasons we, we relocated down here from Kelso was that we're within less than an hour of all three of the daughters and the grandkids, the grandkids in particular. But that's Tiffany, and she's my oldest. Oh, I got to click this. There's Tiffany. She's my oldest, and her husband, Randy, and that's Kyle and Lindsay, and um, Tiff, Tiffany's a school teacher down in Silver Falls School District. Randy manages the uh, uh, Napa store there in, Sil in Silverton, and he is taking over his dad's uh, hazelnut farm. And so that's, that's going to be over a few-year process. And then Kyle and Lindsay are eighth graders and ninth graders next year in the, in, in the school district. And that should be Katie and her family. She's our middle daughter, and that's uh, Jeff, her husband. He's a uh, a, a uh, engineer with Boeing, and Courtney works at Nordstrom's, and Josh is an intern for Boeing up in Everett, and he'll be starting full-time in the same job he's interning in uh, after this summer. Austin works for Textron back in Wichita. He assembles uh, interiors for beach aircraft. And then Katie is a realtor locally and has her own brokerage, and Jeff actually is going to be going into that when he retires from Boeing. So that's, that's our uh, middle daughter. And then our youngest, uh, she's 10 years younger than the others. You ever had something you thought you were done with? We were done with our family. And then somehow this happened. Uh, she, and, she and her husband, Dave, and that's our, our youngest grandson, um, Benjamin. And uh, she's, a, she's in marketing and, and advertising. And I'm still not sure exactly what Dave does. But, but he works with LIDAR, you know, does ground imaging, and also does remote um, proctoring of electronic uh, power companies in the Midwest. And so he has these little robots that go around and check all the systems. So, that, huh? Geomapping, Geo that's it. So that's, that's what he does. So that's the family, and we're, we're sure proud of them. Then there's these two, um, and, 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 and then that's Lola right there. So she, she makes sure we get up at 5.30 every morning and, and takes care of her needs. But what I wanted to focus on today really came out of a, a session at yearly meeting. Normally when I, when I get called on short notice to come and teach, I um, go back to the file and, and look at sermons I've done in the past and pull one up. But this, this was something that really spoke to me at yearly meeting this year. And it was a wonderful yearly meeting. Uh, and it's ministry close at hand. And I'm using for my text today the Matthew 25, 31 through 40. And, huh? 
Um, uh, It's it's funny because it's more true than what I want to admit. Um, What they finally did when I was at Rose Valley is they put a monitor back there that I could watch that was synced with this, so I knew where I was, uh, which which was really a blessing. But our but just uh, so this whole process of of ministry close at hand came from Matthew um, Cord, and it is the idea that we're called to minister right where we're at. But I want to go through this scripture because it becomes a, a basis for us. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to that, you can do that. But it's 31 through 40 of Matthew 25, and it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and I'm reading from the New American this is the NIV. I don't know what you have, but um, so it'll, it'll follow along closely. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, and all of the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. And one of the... And, and, uh, I lost my role here. Hold on a second. One from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So we begin to see there is a separation that's going to come in time that the sheep and the goats will be separated out from one another. In other words, we live in the world today with everybody else who's there. But there will come a point in time where there'll be an assessment made and a separation. And the word that's been used traditionally is judgment. A judgment is coming eventually. We don't like the word judgment. We don't like to be judged. We don't like to be in a world. But the reality is it's an assessment of your life and then a judgment will come because of that. And there'll be a separation made. And notice the sheep are on the right, and the goats are on the left in this. And the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Notice this has always been the plan. This has always been what God intended to have happen, that there would be those who would be called and respond to him and that there would be a separation that's going to come. But more importantly, to those who follow God through Jesus Christ, there is reward, and that is the kingdom of heaven. You will be with God in heaven. And he said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came, and you visited me. I have those highlighted because those become earmarks of what a believer in Jesus Christ does. There are things that we need to begin to consider. There's so much in our faith and our walk that we are called to practice this. We're called to pray about this. We're called to think along these lines. It becomes, if you will, a premeditated life, a life that is thought out, 
and considered and just doesn't kind of roll along and happen. Because we're people. And if we let things roll along and happen, we tend not to roll anywhere except the wrong way. If we, if we wait for things to happen, we live in happenstance and not in a current. And so we, we, we have this. And this becomes the foundation of a ministry close at hand. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty and gave you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or need clothing and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? I named the side, we can be clueless. Because sometimes in the midst of our lives, we don't realize we're ministering as God has called us. We miss the connection because Jesus said, what you did to me, these are his words. These are his teachings. This is his parable. You know, when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you gave me water to drink, when you visited me, when you took care of me. And they said, whoa, wait, we didn't see you. We didn't do this to you at any time. Then Jesus goes and says, the king will truly reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The connection that God has with his creation is important for us to keep in mind, that we are called to care for that. We're called to be stewards of what God has given us, where we are with what we have. How does this work? Three examples I want to go by. Hey, yay, I'm still on task here. Rahab, Paul in Athens, and Ananias. And actually, I want to, I want to click back to a slide that I went by, that, close at hand, do what you can, where you are, with what you have. And this came from Matthew Cork. Do what you can, where you are, with what you have. That was the theme of his ministry. Now, any folks at yearly meeting when Matthew spoke? Good. Matthew is pastor of Your Belinda Friends, which is one of the largest Friends churches in the country. And they have huge outreaches and everything, but their focus is on their local community. Their focus is on what they do there, and out of that grows everything else. And so this was his point, is that you need to do what you can where you are with what you have. I'll go ahead and catch this up. So we're going to look at Rahab first. Most of you know the story of Rahab and the story of the Hebrew children as they left Egypt. Came came into the desert. Moses led them out. Came into the desert. They went and wandered around for a few weeks, and then when they went up to the Jordan and they were ready to cross, they sent in 12 spies. And they came back and reported back to the people and said, man, the place is wonderful. It's full of milk and honey. It's got grapes we have to haul in on a big old stick. But there's a small problem. There's giants in the land. And the people were afraid. Only Joshua and Caleb said, no, wait a minute. Yeah, that's all true, but God has promised this to us. We need to go do this, but they didn't. And so we know the story. They wandered another 40 years in the wilderness. Well, now they've come back to the Jordan, ready to re-enter again. They've come up to the the edge. They send two spies into town. Well, now I'm the king of Jericho, 
And I'm thinking, I have this nation encamped across the river. They're gathering together. There's tens of thousands of people showing up on my doorstep. And I hear the rumblings from around the entire world that they said they've been promised this land where I'm living with my people. Naturally, he wants to find the spies. He wants to do that. But they find Rahab, who we're told is a harlot, and she provides them shelter and a way of escape. Now, when you think of her career choice, for lack of a better term, she would have had a very secretive process in her life. People that would come and use her services, they would have wanted to do it in secret, and they wanted to have left in secret. So what did Rahab have that allowed her to do that? Number one, she had the opportunity, the location, and the ability that she'd learned through her craft, and she had the insight that God had spoken to her saying, these people are coming, they're going to take over this community. And her one request was, when you go back and you come back, remember me. Remember what I've done this day for you. And they did that. But what did she do? She used what she had, where she was, and did what she could do. She didn't do any more than that. God took that and blessed not only her because she was saved from the sacking of Jericho, which was destroyed, and the people and everything else as well, but she's now in the lineage of David and Jesus. She's part of the genetic code that was passed down. That's how God used her. It's just amazing to me when you think about it that this person could do that. We're going to go ahead and go on ahead to Paul in Athens. And this is the, the, great, the great sermon that he has in the Areopagus. And he's wandering around, and there, it's the place where people share great ideas and theories and thoughts, the great philosophers of Greece. And here, here's Paul on a second missionary journey in Athens in this place of great intellectual exchange. And he looks around, and there's all these worship places to go and look at. And there's one he looks and sees, worship of the unknown God. And, and, he, and he says, and, and you read this in, in Acts, and it's almost, it's almost tongue-in-cheek. I think it says, man, you guys even worship what you don't know. You're so into worshiping, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Let me tell you about the God of creation. And he goes on to develop that and tell them. Paul, being raised in a Greek society, spoke their language, knew what it was. He understood fully what their thought processes were. And he used where he was with what he had to do what he could do. That is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he didn't do more, and he didn't have great insights, particularly that were handed to him or schooling. He did what he was called to do. But he did it with what he knew, where he was, and what he was able. That's what we're all called to do. We're not called to do any more than that. We're not called to be some kind of great orators or 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 apologists for the faith. We're called to live the faith where we are with what we can do with what we have. That's all. God will take that and change it. 
It's amazing how God works in, those, in that manner. Then Ananias. Anybody familiar with good old Ananias? Great story. This is one of the first sermons I ever heard when I became a believer. Ray Schmutz was preaching through the book of Acts when we became believers. We, we became believers in Southern California in a chicken coop, literally. It was a chicken, converted chicken coop in the middle of Hoots and Sons Chicken Farm in Cucamonga. It's the truth. I can't make this up. But he was, there were about 25 of us at the, at then, then attending it. And we weren't formally a church. We hadn't done all the legal paperwork. It was two Bible studies that met together for Sunday morning to worship together. And um, it, it, it grew kind of exponentially after that. But, but he was preaching through this, and this just spoke to me so deeply. And Ananias is a wonderful character in Scripture. But to back it up, this is about Paul and about Ananias. Paul, as we know, was Saul. He was holy, held the cloaks at the stoning of Stephen. And after that, he entered into his persecution phase where he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ in and around Jerusalem. And he had done a lot, putting people in jail. Some had died from the process that had happened there. He was a zealot for what it meant to be a Jew. He was, he was just sold out completely. You'll notice, this little side, side, side trail, you'll notice that God used that for Paul, didn't he, through the rest of his ministry. He, still, he soon became a zealot for Jesus. But Paul then goes to the leaders in Jerusalem and says, I need traveling papers. I need orders that I can go to Damascus because some of these folks, these Christians, have gone up there, and we need to get them. I mean, we need to stomp this this horrible sickness within our faith out. we got to get rid of it. So they give him papers. We know on the way to Damascus, boom, God, Jesus comes to him. We have the road to Damascus experience, that Damascus road experience. And he's struck down, blinding light around him, goes blind, and Jesus says, what are you doing? That's my loose translation. What are you doing, Paul? And Paul realizes, oh, wait a minute, Lord, Lord, <laughs> you know, uh-oh. He says, Jesus says to him, go to Damascus, roll called straight, there's a house there for you to stay in. I'm going to send somebody to help you. So Paul, Paul goes, he's escorted by his people that are with him because he's with a small party. He goes there, he goes to the house, he, he waits. God, in the meantime, has visited Ananias. And I love the, right the term raised. Ananias, nobody. We don't hear about him again. Just a guy who's a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. And he says to Ananias, Ananias, go to Paul. This is the house he's up. This is the street he's on. And pray for him. Lay your hands upon him. And Ananias goes, well, wait a minute. Now, is this the same Paul who's throwing people in jail and persecuting church and killing people? And you want me to go there? And Jesus says, yeah, go there. Don't worry. This is what added to the glory of Ananias, and the glory of any of us is he knew who Jesus was. He knew the voice of his Savior and followed him, and he was told, under the idea of great peril to him. That all he knew about Paul or Saul at this time was, I'm going to jail. I'm going to die. You know, this is not good for me, but... You've called me to do this. I'm going to go do it. When he gets there, he doesn't have great words for Paul. He says, I'm sent. 
laid hands upon Paul, the scales fell away from his eyes, he could see again. And the rest, as they say, is history of Paul's ministry. For us, we're here primarily because of the ministry of Paul and his outreach beyond the Hebrew community. That's Ananias. He was in the right, he, he was where he was living, in his community. He had the faith that God had given him, and he was called and followed in obedience and then laid hands and prayed. Who in here can't do that? You know, we're not called necessarily to go way far away. Many, there are many of us that will be called to go away. But not all of us are. But we are all called to do what we can do where we are with what we have. We're all called to that. It's something we're all capable of doing and doing well. So what can you do? Mow the lawn at church. This comes from an experience to me in Kansas. And uh, we were, we were, we came into the Friends Church down at Silverton Friends, and we weren't, I was, I was at like a, an, an apprentice down there for a couple years. And then we planted the church up in Kent, Washington, up where Paul Meyer is now. And uh, we did that for three years, and then we took a church in Kansas. We went from East Hill to Rose Hill. Kansas. We were there for 19 years. Anybody from the Midwest? How do things grow in the spring? They go crazy. I mean, our lawns would grow, where we were at least, a good six inches a week. I mean, you've got to mow the darn thing once or twice a week at least. Now, by the end of summer, if you're not watering, you don't have to mow at all. It just stops. But the first four years, I mowed the lawn in and around the church. They paid me a little extra we had a little John Deere platform mower, not a tractor mower, a platform mower, and um, did that until it finally broke. Then, we, then folks in church started mowing the lawn, which worked out really well for two or three years. Well, we reached a point one spring where the guy who was mowing lawns couldn't do it any longer, and nobody stepped up. Nobody felt like they could go and mow the lawn. And I was getting angry. You know, you ever got that way? Why isn't somebody taking care of that? We got a mess here at church, and it's just not getting taken care of. You know, and finally, after the third, starting the third week of it not getting mowed, it's looking pretty ratty. I'd mowed around the house, the, the parsonage. I'd gotten that all done. It looked nice. So that made it even look worse over there. And I got in, and about 4 o'clock that Sunday morning, I was awoken and said, you're not the pastor of this church. You're a member of this church. And you're called to do what every member is called to do. And I've had that lawn waiting for you for three weeks. Seriously, it was my, it was, I saw that. I was the one who had the awakening passion for it. And that's how God works. So I got up, and just after daybreak, because we were in the country. The, the, the church in Rose Hill, Kansas, was three miles in the middle of a six-mile section on dirt and gravel. And so I got up and fired that lawnmower up about 7.30, and I don't have the riding mower anymore. I have my push mower. And so I'm out there mowing away, and the first person shows up for Sunday school, and I said, you got, you got, you got this Sunday school today because I've got to get this done. And they, there, there was some thought that I was doing this to make a point, which it would make a point if Pete's out there mowing the lawn one Sunday at 
9.20, and you know he's not going to be done, and you know he's not teaching Sunday school if that's what he does. But you would think, what's he trying to do here? And it was just so clear for me that this is God's work. Whether I'm standing in the pulpit and teaching or I'm mowing the darn lawn, it's all about his property and his work. And it was just so important. It was such a, a, a full moment for me to realize that I am part of the church. I'm not just a pastor of the church. There's nothing I can do here that I shouldn't be doing. Well, let me take a step back, literally. When I, we were at Silverton, and I talked about it with, um, oh, they already left to go to their grandchildren's thingy up north. Huh? Melvin. And um, I let, I, we had a Sunday night service. I led, mute, I, I led the singing, and um, there were about 20 people there. Four song leaders stepped forward. I was so bad. They wouldn't let me stand near. The, the, the singers sang from up front. I had to go over to the side. They didn't want me singing behind them, getting them off. I mean, so there are some things in church you don't, unless you need a song leader, have me lead, you'll have people come forward and say, please, bless you, but don't do that again. So there are some things. But that, but that doesn't mean I couldn't do that if God had gifted me in that area. But, but God has calls us to a lot of things. So it was important that I did that. We'd eat the slope is another occurrence from up in Rose Valley. Uh, about five years ago, I, I fractured my ankle that I still have issues with and, and will for the rest of my life. But we had a very steep slope. It was about 10 feet tall, and you could hardly walk on it with good feet, let alone bad feet, no balance. And it was in February, and so we didn't have to worry about it for a while. But then there was, a, there was that March morning when Bob Gustin showed up, and I heard this, and he's out weeding the slope. And for the next two years, he took care of that darn slope. I was able to get on my mower and ride around and do the top part. But he took care of that slope for two years because he had the ability, he had what he had, he was in the neighborhood, and he did what he could do. That's all we're called to do. It's just that simple. It's not a difficult task for us, I don't think. Where are you? Look at your circle of influence and begin praying that God would open your eyes and your heart to respond to opportunities. Just say, Lord, where is it you want me to minister today? When I walk out of here, open my eyes, open my heart. Start your day that way, seeking after him. Where is it today, Lord, you want me to do this? You have coworkers or neighbors. Is there a neighbor who needs help? You have a coworker that needs a friend. You know, your enemies. We got enemies. We're not supposed to have enemies, but we got enemies. Go to them. What can you do? What do you have? Have you prayed for a willing heart? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust Jesus that he will supply that in your process? That he will actually give you that yearning to move forward? Can you meet a need? Do you have the ability to share your talents? Can you pray specifically? We are good at general prayers sometimes. But can you pray specifically for a person, for an opportunity, for an occasion? 
That's important. That specific prayer to ask for God's intervention in that. Remember, God will use your abilities, your resources, your circumstances to do his work in his world. You don't need special training to be God's effective conduit of hope and grace to his world. You are plan A. There's no plan B. We're it. We're it. We are the body of Christ in his world, called to be his agents of change and effective for hope and for grace. Little addition there. God wants to use what you can do where you are with what you have. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I ask for blessings on each person here. And I pray, Father, specifically for each person that you would give them a vision for what you want them to do today and tomorrow in the area of blessing those around us, whether it's family, a neighbor, a co-worker, whatever it might be. Just be there and be with them. We want to remember Hannah this morning especially. Put your healing hands upon her. We praise you for the doctors and nurses that attended to the problems that she has. We thank you for Pete and the rest of the family. Bless them as she begins to heal and get stronger, Lord. We do pray right now that you strengthen her every day and give her your special touch of hope and of grace and of comfort. We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And